Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. This is the Dr. Pacho, and by now, many of you have noticed that we have changed up our opening music and uh, more to come on that. Uh, Wow, we've got a great show for all of you today. Um, You know, I want to talk about something. Benny, did you ever see the movie uh, Minority Report? I remember did. seeing that with Tom Cruise. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. That movie did more for the word precognition or precognitive or precog than I think any book that ever had been written on psychology or anything else. Yeah, it seemed like it was it's, like every fourth word they used. It every was, fourth yeah, word. <laughs> it was like, I, I don't even know the name of the characters that were in it. It was precog, right? But... What it did, though, was it imprinted, implanted, made us more aware of what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also, you know, what happens with that is it makes us also aware. It makes us aware if we are walking and sleeping and dreaming and we have, let me call it, a vision, Is that vision a vision of our past? Is it the present? Is it the future? What is it? What is it? But our fascination with dreams and dreamers and our fascination with waking up like I did the other day and say, OMG, I haven't had a dream about my stepmom who passed away. I hadn't had a dream about her like in 20 years like a real, like, wake me up dream about it. And lo and behold, we get to have a conversation with Eric, Eric Wargo, joining me here today, his book, Precognitive Dream Work and the Long Self. How do we interpret the messages from our future? It's a fascinating book, but more than a book, uh, you know, Eric's work is fascinating. And so outside of the realm of Hollywood and pop culture, um, what is it that fascinates us with dream work, but even more so fascinates us with the predictive so-called nature of it? Uh, Eric, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Pat. Thank you for having me. Uh, I do believe we have a fascination. I do believe that, and and I'm talking about us as a society. Now, other cultures, they live and breathe by dream work. What is it for you, though? What I want to know is about your journey, right? About Mm -hmm. who influenced you in this? And what was it in your life 
that tapped you on the shoulder or maybe a two by four that said, wow, I think there's something to what just happened to me. Right. The story of how I got interested in this is kind of a roundabout one. I, it, I, I to a paper that was published exa exactly a decade ago by a very well-known um, psychologist at Cornell University named Daryl Bem. Mm. And this paper was not about dreams, but it was about the idea that people can feel their future or what's called presentiment. And it's a version of precognition. He had put large numbers of undergraduates in these experiments where he sort of reversed the order of, of stimulus and response in a bunch of basic psychology type experiments and discovered that he got statistically significant findings that that these participants were pre-sponding to stimuli that they would they would encounter in the experiment later hmm. and this was uh, a mind-blowing finding but for the field of psychology, it was, it, it made so many people angry. Uh, it, it just, there's such hostility in the field of I know. psychology I know. Toward, toward anything to do with ESP. I know. And there's, and we can get into the reasons for that. But, uh, and I happened at that time to be working as an editor at a uh, psychology organization. Uh, it wasn't the organization that was publishing this paper. But I saw firsthand this hostility toward the topic of ESP. And it's not something that, it was something that I had been starting to think about anyway. Uh, I was kind of getting interested in the paranormal at that point in my life. Um, and I had had a sort of knee-jerk skepticism toward ESP that I, I think a lot of people who grow up, I grew up in a scientific household. My parents were psychologists. Uh, I you know, was trained as a scientist and I, I sort of, had a, you know, I kind of assumed that the skeptics, you know, were right, that this is, you know, ESP stands for error someplace, yeah. you know, it's uh, uh, somehow the product of faulty science, wishful thinking, superstition, and so on and so on. But this paper was like genuinely intriguing because it passed peer review, the this the experimental methods were sound it was a large sample of people it wasn't just two or three people um and it and seeing the hostility that it invited from scientists people who are supposed to be inquiring into human nature but seeming but in this case had a closed off attitude toward a really interesting finding um that kind of sparked me i it, it a, uh, you know, I think I, when I see an underdog, you know, I tend to, I tend to want to, you know, run to their rescue. And it seemed like bullying a little bit. And so it, it prompted me to do my um, due diligence and, and read up about the topic. And I really delved into the research on precognition after that point. But the, but the funny thing is, and you say, you know, what things in my own life, well, you know, reading about precognition, reading about precognitive dreams, uh, I realized, oh, I've had those, you know? And, you know, I had one on the morning of 9-11 that I yeah. put in the book. I had, mm -hmm. I've had others 
uh, and other kinds of precognitive experiences, not just dreams. And, for, and fortunately, I had for uh, a couple decades at that point, I'd kept a detailed dream journal. So I was really able to confirm some of these things. So that, that led me to this, this topic and I became sort of obsessed with it. And the more you pay attention to the possibility that your dreams are precognitive, the more you notice it happening. And gradually the natural doubt that kind of creeps in when, when people have a paranormal experience of some of whatever kind, gradually it, those, those again and again and again precognitive dreams just kind of wore down my, my doubt. And, and, uh, and so that's what led me to it. And then I published a book a couple of years ago about on the topic, more in a theoretical and historical framework. But people just reached out to me after that with, with, uh, with emails about their precognitive dreams. And I realized, okay, there needs to be a book, a guide to this, this topic and to sort of debunk some of the myths around yeah. it uh, and so on. I want to ask you this question because uh, we're going to really dig deeper into this and into the book because your book is really quite uh, in-depth and also explains, you, you know, what most people experience, but also, you know, what the realm of psychology may suggest. I mean, it really is beautifully done. And yet at the same time, how many people do you know, or did I know, or how many people listening, you know, to the show wake up one day and they have an experience. They, just like you mentioned, you know, you had that experience, a precognition, a 9-11 precognition. How many of us wake up with those hits, let's call them, and just kind of blow them off like I can't really be seeing that until after the event and I want to talk to you about what happens sometimes when you know we do have these visions people don't know what to do right it's it's am I crazy what does it mean? And that's what today's show is about, Eric. That's what I want to talk with you about, is how do we interpret these? Um, and I said this before, uh, when I was introducing you in the book, I had a dream about my stepmom about two or three nights ago, and I had not dreamt about my stepmom in, since her passing. Uh, and boy, wouldn't it have been great to sort of have you on the other end of the phone to say, what is this about? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at how precognition shows up in our lives. Is it the same as prophesizing? Is it the same as a premonition? Is it the same as a psychic, intuitive knowing? And what is it? that these messages are trying to tell us or even help us with. All of that is here. All of that is in the book. And we are also taking your questions. If you have comments, if you want to talk to Eric today, 1-800-930-2819. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Are you feeling the complexity of life? Do you feel that urge to step into something greater? 
Tune in to Nailed It Radio. Find your simplicity within your complexity with me, life coach, Carrie Nail. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com to discover what it means to use your full power to be the best version of yourself. Imagine stepping into the energy of saying yes to yourself and knowing you nailed it. For more information about me, visit CarrieNail.com. Imagine starting your week off with a teaching, a clearing, and an activation direct from the God consciousness. If you would like to feel more in charge of your week ahead, then I personally invite you to join me, Tracy L. Clark, for our monthly Soul Sunday non-denominational service at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, online or in person. All donations for this event go to the TLC Initiative Fund to help those in need. Sign up now at tracylclark.com and let's connect together in the glory realm. Welcome to Soul Activation Podcast, a world-class broadcast of insight and inspiration with the renowned healer and coach, Suzanne Alexandria. In this series, she dives deep into the magical sea of you, to the place in you that's ready to activate. Tune in live every second and fourth Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Caring for someone with a life-altering diagnosis? You are a care hero. Navigating the unfamiliar options can be overwhelming, but you are not alone. Tune in to A Cup of Comfort with me, Trish Lau, twice monthly on Transformation Talk Radio. Let me guide you through your care hero journey by providing actionable information on how to care for a loved one in need. For more information about me, visit trishlaub.com. That's trishlaub, L-A-U-B as in boy, dot com. Tune in to the show, Heart Change Consciousness, with me, Dr. Trish DeRocher, as stories of inspired activism come to life. Listening to conversations with your favorite authors, change makers, and many more who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. Let's be inspired together through my show, Heart Change Consciousness, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are you ready to get big and live your life out loud? Tune in to Get Big Out Loud Radio. Exploring life through the lens of curiosity and compassion. With me, Carrie Knudsen, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will offer ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. If you want to get big and live your life out loud, visit me at KnudsenSpeaks.com. Want to talk about dreaming? You want to talk about like the goddess of all times absolutely everyone. just saying <laughs> that she is Couldn't agree more <laughs> oh my goodness she was from another planet she is from another planet in another world and she is endless benny good job right where'd you dig that up from oh man you know it's over on the top part of it not the bottom part my goodness had a few dreams about her myself eric thank you for joining me here today before we dig deeper into the book and and the detail of the book of course um i want folks to know how can they get a copy of precognitive dream work and the long self uh interpreting messages from your future but also how can they find out about you and some of the things you're up to sure they can get the book from uh bookstores and from any online purveyor of books <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, you wish, that you wish to 
patronize. Um, yeah. uh, and my blog is where they can learn more about the broader range of my interests and research in this larger area of consciousness and the paranormal and related areas. Uh, my blog is thenightshirt.com, all one word, as in the kind of garment one used to wear in olden times to bed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, sometimes we still wear it. Sometimes we don't. I, I used to have one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't look very good. It's not. It's not a flattering wow, look. Any of not us a flattering look. <laughs> for a man. But, uh, I, I don't know if any of us look good in the nightshirt. <laughs> I think. There, I think I can think of one picture or image of. Uh, uh, somebody in a nightshirt. Who was that? Oh, Charlize Theron. <laughs> Maybe in a night. That was the best picture of a nightshirt. Um, I want to start in the book, not sort of at the beginning. I want to start with the conversation that you have in the book about the law in the cosmos, because I would like to start there. Um, and, and the reason I want to start there is because when we think about the cosmos, when we think about law, when we think about universal principles, there are some things that we know and some things we don't know. And even those things we do know, we have a really hard time connecting the dots. And I think in the book, this is one of the places you connect the dots. Um, it, it must have been important to you to include the, you know, part four, the law of the cosmos in the book you know, for a lot of reasons, but is this a way to help people understand how to connect dots? I'd like to hear your perspective. Yes, I think it is, but it's, it's the most challenging part of, of this issue. And I'm sure you can agree having, having read that it's also, I think the most necessary because, because what you're referring to part four of my book, um, which addresses uh, premonitions and the question, the thorny question of fate and free will and whether, and whether, you know, there's the per perennial question, you know, okay, precognitive dreaming is real. Okay, I have a dream about, uh, you know, getting in a, uh, a plane tomorrow and it crashes, you know, is that going to happen or can I change that? And the, I think it's a myth that's been purveyed pretty much throughout the history of books on ESP and okay. precognitive dreaming, mm -hmm. dream work, is that, well, you know, even though we can see the future in our dreams, that doesn't mean the future is fixed. We can always change our fate. We can change our, you know, they just show us probabilities or, or whatever. And I think for a lot of reasons, and some of the reasons have to do with physics and physical law, I don't, I think that's a cop-out, really. <laughs> <laughs> that that the you know physics says since einstein physicists cosmologists have kind of accepted that our sense of the future being open ended and the versus the past being fixed is kind of an illusion that time is a dimension just like space in which case the future really already exists and we're moving through it we have this cognitive illusion that we're moving from one end to the other but for a cosmologist, for most cosmologists, they have no trouble with the idea that, in fact, the future is already there. Now, what troubles people is, you know, the idea, well, I can see something terrible in my future. That means I, I can't change it. Okay. And that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a perennial theme 
yeah. in classical myths yeah. like Oedipus or Macbeth or things yeah. like that. Well, the reality of precognitive dreams and precognition in general is not the way it's typically portrayed in art and literature. And, you know, you're not going to have a video quality dream about a disaster in your future that you could avoid. Okay. Mm. That's one part of the answer to, you know, people who are concerned about this topic. The second part is nine times out of 10, you have a dream that, that seems to be about a disaster. And in fact, it turns out to be about something good. It was symbolic in some way, right? Or the, you know, it, or your dream kind of dramatized something relatively minor, some kind of minor mishap or upheaval in your life and made it into a big thing, or even, or a very common uh, pattern with premonitions of disaster and death and so forth is that we have a dream that, you know, you're in a car crash and then you read about such a car crash tomorrow happening to someone else on the news, for instance. Yeah. So we, we have premonitions, but we don't know how they're going to come to pass. And while those stories, you know, alarming sounding stories of people, you know, having premonitions of their own death or the death of loved ones, those do happen, but they're so in so the minority mm. of precognitive mm. dreams. Most dreams are bringing us, uh, they're really telling us in one way or another about rewards ahead, even if they're couched in kind of disaster language. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the, the rules of symbolism uh, that, that kind of govern how information from the future is able to reflux into the past and not cause some sort of paradox. You know uh, what, I want to ask you about this for a minute, because you said something, and I, I just don't want to jump ahead. So what happens, correct me if I'm wrong, what happens is we have an event like that, whether it's a dream, my stepmom, it doesn't matter, but we have that. Um, I'm a big daydreamer. Some people say that's not dreaming. I literally stop for a moment like this morning I was sitting down with Linda right before the show and I was attempting to eat breakfast and I just stopped and you could see the look in my face like she's not here right mm -hmm. and Linda said something like what are you doing right and I didn't have an answer for her because I didn't think I was doing anything but the thing you said that really I've really noticed about myself the mind wants to kick in and tell me that that dream I had is a precognition of disaster, yeah. right? But your mm -hmm. book is here to help us to say, wait a minute, hit the pause button if you don't mind, you know, before you're like the mind take over and put you in an event, you know, like the news this morning, projecting a giant tsunami in Tacoma, Washington, you know, before you drop yourself in that story, there's got to be a way. And isn't that what you're helping us with throughout this book? Yeah, there's a lot of conflicted, confused uh, emotions around precognitive dreams. You know, the people's first reaction to it is like, oh, cool. And then second, but wait a minute. And then <laughs> a lot of people, you know, shy away from the topic because they're like afraid of, of, of somehow dreaming about something terrible uh, that, that they can't change or whatever. And I think this is a, 
perennial anxiety and it's the anxiety that myths like oedipus and so forth were, were were pointing to that they were really dealing with with this uh with this problem because for the ancients you know they they had no problem with the idea of yeah dreams sometimes do predict the future oracles sometimes do predict the future people go into trances while awake and predict the future you know right. um uh so there's you know there's this idea that that somehow we're going to see we're going to have this go to sleep and have this horrible dream about something really terrible happening and then it's going to happen that way and that almost never happens uh the like i said when you those cases when people do have disaster premonitions uh they they all always transpire in an unexpected way to someone else or you know or they're that's they're sort of symbolic uh, and and the actual event is different, uh, but you know it's you can see the connection once the event happens. But it's 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 not the way you dream it, and you know you shouldn't always trust the emotions in your dreams. Uh, very often, uh, dreams about future events I've found in my own work and uh, in uh, other dream workers that I work with that sometimes, particularly long distance. Uh, powerful precognitive dreams about events far ahead in your life, they often manifest as nightmares or as uh, very having a very dark feeling to them. And then when they transpire, no, it was something amazing. And I think that there's some feature about the way information reaches us in the past that, that, that our, I don't know, our emotional circuitry doesn't interpret it correctly or something about our cognition doesn't interpret it correctly. Um, but there's another, another one of the other mental health consequences of, of precognitive dreaming is uh, having a dream that you didn't realize was a premonition, but then something bad happens, you know, right. a, lo- a loved one dies and you realize, oh my gosh, I dreamed about this. Uh, and if I dreamed about it, I should have been able to do something. Exactly. I should have done something. So exactly. people feel, feel all this guilt. Right. And for the exactly the same reasons that I was just discussing, you you should never feel guilt guilty about that. Yeah. Because had the event not happened, he would not have had the dream. There's a there's a grandfather again. There's that that grandfather paradox uh, rule going on uh, that that really uh, it, it the, the the idea of fate as an something immutable really is a reassurance to people who have a lot of uh, a lot of premonitions and so on uh, because it it assures them that no it's actually not my fault you know there's nothing i could have done right. uh, to to change that outcome because the way i received the information was not i was not intended to get a warning it's not like i wasn't on the ball and i should have gotten this warning uh, people have this this idea that somehow dreams are sent to us by some smarter person uh, up there in in my in my you know unconscious or you know in in some other realm you know who's you know and we're failing to live up to uh to their requests uh and failing to heed their warnings on a day-to-day basis that's not the way it works and that's not the way it works failing on a day-to-day basis we're going to take a short break here when you come back You know, we've just talked about, for those of you just tuning in, you know, we've just talked about the many, many ways we either conceive, misconceive, interpret or misinterpret, do or not do with the dreams that we get. You might call them visions. You might call them dreams. Let's call them insights. 
we just talked about all the many ways we get so confused, so mixed up, so guilted, so shamed. When we come back, we're going to talk with Eric about what do we do? You know, what do I do with that dream thing that happened with the mama? What do I do with that? Is there anything for me to do? How do I not step into the rabbit hole and slide all the way down, making my own little story up about what Mama Doris was trying to say to me? Let's take a short break, everybody. When we come back, I have a copy of the book to give away, Benny. Much more with Eric. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Patricia McNair, host of Divine Guidance with Patricia. And I'm here to help you live a more authentic, spiritually connected life. Join me every first and third Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Being who you are in everyday life is the key to unlocking soul wisdom within that our whole self already knows. Get ready to embrace your spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, your whole being. Discover your gifts and strengthen your connection to spirit. We will explore earth guidance, divine truth, and love, past life lessons, and so much more. So listen in to Divine Guidance with Patricia and join in your personal adventure to triggering, opening, validating, and being all that you are. For more information about me, visit divineguidance.earth. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy S-T-A-C-I-E, Barber.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy, S-T-A-C-I-E, Barber.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. 
enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking about precognitive dream work and the long self. Interpreting messages from your future with incredible author, Eric Wargo, especially the author of Time Loops as well. Um, And Eric, before we talk about, look, we've just talked about all the things that we could literally drop in a basket basket and not have go so well with dreams. We're going to talk about what do we do with them. But before we do that, how do we find out about you? How do we get a copy of the book? Right. My uh, the book is available uh, from bookstores, and it is available from any online bookseller. Uh, and the title is Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self. Uh, I have also have a blog, thenightshirt.com, all one word, the nightshirt. Uh, and that's where I, I write about these topics and a lot of related concerns. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of information in the blog, too. And so, you know, we're, we have one hour to really condense a book that is so filled with information. And so I love when people can connect with you on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, Benny, let's give a copy of the book away if we could. 1-800-930-2819. Let's go ahead and do that. Um, Eric, look, we've talked a little bit about sort of the ups and downs, especially in my field, psychology, and we've talked about different versions of what our pop culture would like us to believe about dream work or precognitive, or now let's talk about here we are, and I'm waking up today, and out, it's like my, my mind, my visualization has this precognitive dream. Most people don't know what to do the minute after that happens. And I think that's what you're doing here is you're helping us with that next step. Sometimes we never have the dream again. Other times people will go to bed the next day and it will stay with them. This is where you come in. What have you learned? What can we help people with when they get a dream like that? Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're sitting trying to eat a couple of eggs and all of a sudden you get something in your sight. Tell us, where do we go from that dream? Yeah, well, first, let me say that you never know a dream is precognitive until the event, the the event that it's precognizing happens. So you don't, when you wake up with a dream, you don't know necessarily what that dream is. Now, some people will have dreams that oh wow i that that feels you know i'm sure something is going to happen and maybe they may be right but one of the myths that i try to debunk in the book is the myth that precognitive dreams or premonitions or whatever always feel numinous or they feel special somehow and that is not the case and this is why the number one step in precognitive dream work it's, there's really, it's very simple and there's really three steps, but the first is write down all your dreams when you wake up, as much as you can remember. In fact, we dream throughout the night and what we remember when we wake up is probably a small fraction of that. So right. you know, most of it's gone. Don't worry about that. Right. But uh, write down 
everything you can in detail, as much detail as you can about every dream that you can remember, even if it's just a fragment of a dream or just an image or a setting or something like that. Write down what you can remember uh, because you don't know what's going to turn out to have precognitive significance later. The third step, we'll come back to the second step later, but the third step to precognitive dream work is then going back to your dream records at the end of every day. Now, this is the thing. A lot of people are interested in dreams. A lot of people write down their dreams. No one thinks to go back to those dream records after a short amount of time. Nope, we and, don't. Right. And this is what's going to, this is what will, you know, people, this is how you, you, you detect a precognitive dream is you open your dream records uh, at night. You know, forget about your dream during the day. You don't need to think about it during the day. Just, but at night, open before you go to bed or whatever, look at your dream record and just think about the events of that day. And if anything kind of seems to connect to the events of the interim. And in fact, go back through your dream records from the last few days. I recommend three, that's kind of an arbitrary number. You're most likely to detect a precognitive dream unfolding in the next few days after your dream. Like, Wow. Two days seems to be kind of almost a sweet spot for me, wow. uh, but not necessarily. Some dreams, you know, target events farther out in the future. Uh, some target events exactly a year or multiple years in the future. This is something called calendrical resonance that I talk about in the book. But by and large, if you want to uh, make as much headway in a short amount of time as possible, getting some precognitive dream hits. Go back to your dream records for the last three days at the end of every day. Just look at look at what you wrote down from your dreams and just reflect on them. You know, reflect on on what happened in that interim, and uh, and see what you find. Now we can talk about the second step, of free association um, later if you want, or we can talk about it now. I want to talk about it now. Okay. Um, because one of the things you just I want to keep this rolling. Uh, because one, first of all, it's insightful, but two, I like to make sure that, first of all, we have the best audience on the planet and they've amazing. And what I have to make sure that I do is provide them with things they can use every day. And what you're just, what you just shared is I think little known information about that. You know, we hear so often, oh, you're going to get one chance to remember your dream. Oh, you know, I mean, there's so many things we hear. But what you just described is pretty much what happens, you know, to me. That moment on the couch didn't mean that that was the first time I got that hit. You know, I think I was being reminded to remember it. But what to do with it is really so important now. I would like you to continue. Right. Well, let me say that those 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 steps that I just gave you, steps yeah. one and step three for me, yeah. are actually were actually they're not anything I came up with. This mm -hmm. was the, the pioneer of precognitive dream work. He didn't call it that, but it's what it was, uh, was an English aviator. I'm sorry, a, a English aviation engineer, uh, plane designer, uh, back in the first decades of the 20th century named J.W. Dunn, John William Dunn. And he was also a precognitive dreamer. And he was perplexed by these dreams he had that came true within, usually within a couple of days. And he wanted to understand them. And he brought his engineer's 
mind to being systematic about studying these things in his life. Uh, and what he hit on, which he invited his readers, he wrote a book in 1927 called An Experiment with Time. It was actually a big bestseller. It was, it was, it was very popular and influential for, you know, throughout the middle of the century. It influenced a lot of famous writers and stuff. Uh, he invited readers to, to do what I'm inviting readers to do, which is keep a dream journal and go back to your dream records after a couple of days. Now, and he, you know, he, had, he fills the book with tons of examples of this. Uh, of, of precognitive dreams that that manifested in his life. And then he has a lot of theories about how it works. Now, he was writing uh, at a time when the theories of Sigmund Freud were dominant yeah. in, in, uh, in culture. I mean, everyone was reading Freud. Everyone was interpreting their dreams according to Freudian uh, free association and so forth. Um, but he didn't occur to, and, and Dunn was well aware of Freud, and he didn't see any conflict between, between Freud's ideas and his, but he didn't put the two together. And basically what he was looking for in his dreams were obvious, very obvious, clear uh, connections to an event in his future. Uh, so something, you know, like the, his famous example is he dreams he's on a volcanic island and it's about to blow uh, and he's trying to warn people. And then uh, and he, and the number, uh, a certain number goes through his, you know, head in the, in the dream. And then a few days later, uh, he reads the newspaper about a, a major volcanic eruption in the Caribbean, uh, mm. with that exact number or, or similar number, uh, of dead, uh, from, from the eruption. Wow. So things like, things like that obvious, you know, yeah. connections between the dream and the event. What I have found and other dream workers find is that most dreams are not, most precognitive dreams are not literal representations of a future experience or, or a future event. They're distorted in various ways and they have a lot of symbolism and a lot of substitutions and puns and things like that. And these are the kinds of things that really interested Freud. He didn't believe in precognition in dreams, but he did know and he did explain how you to interpret them, you really need to free associate on them. And that's and what that means that it's not an esoteric exercise. All it means is saying, well, for this particular element in the dream, like this character in the dream or whatever, uh -huh. what's the first thing it reminds you of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, don't don't put effort into it. Just, you know, what's the first thing that that your first association that comes up, or first association or two associations that come up. Well, step two of precognitive dream work, as I'm formulating it, is when you write your dream down in the morning, sit within a minute and free associate on all of its elements and write down those associations next to the dream. Um, so you have a dream about your you know, your stepmother, right. well, that's, that's, a, that's, a you know, there, you probably have a million associations with her, but like, what's, you know, you have a stream about a, like a, a, a student, you know, in school that you haven't seen in, you know, 30 years or something like that, you know, what's your first association to that, that person, mm -hmm. or you have, a, there's a certain object or a certain setting, you know, dreams are always take place in a certain setting, you know, what's, what's your association to that mm -hmm. setting, write down those associations, just what are the things that this reminds me of, and if it doesn't remind you of anything, don't, just don't force it. Well, but let me just comment on that for a minute, because uh, let me tell you, 
this dream about my stepmom was very unusual. It was my stepmom almost in a Mortal Kombat sort of role, fending off multiple knives and blades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when you were just talking about that now, and I go to my free association, my stepmom was a protector. You know, she was a fierce, whether it was injustice in the world, right? You could see her as a mortal Mortal Kombat character, right? Or you could see her. What I didn't see her as was sort of a Kung Fu master person. So when you talk about interpretations or associations, it just clicked right now for me, right? Mm -hmm. Because no, I don't see my my mom as like Mortal Kombat genius. But Mm -hmm. if I start to do what you, I, I can come up with, image of image of image of what what that meant yeah well it's often yeah it's often those associations Mm. that you're gonna notice the connection to an event or an experience Mm -hmm. unfolding over the next you know few days or a couple weeks or whatever uh so this is why this this added step to what jw dunn formulated um 90 years ago or whatever uh now uh that's really takes it up a notch in terms of your ability to detect precognitive dreams and understand how precognitive dreams were working, how they're processing information that's refluxing from your future. You know, it's somehow that information is getting distorted, twisted, but there's always a rationale to it. Uh, So, so those are the, those are the three steps and, you know, you can start tomorrow you know, and honestly, you know, you said that you're not someone who always remembers your dreams. In fact, just putting a notebook and a pen by the side of your bed will prime the pump. I mean, it really, people find that, you know, well, I never dream or I never remember my dreams. Just put a notebook there. It acts kind of like setting an intention and you'll, you will probably wake up with a nice dream. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's a, that's the perfect, you know, way to begin uh, the wonderful, uh, life adventure of precognitive dream work is just buy a nice notebook and pen and set it by your bedside. I love this. I want to talk to you about something and you allude to it in the book and I can't remember where, but um, I, I grew up as a kid that I would go to bed at night. I'm just huge sci-fi kid from, mm-hmm. from, uh, from birth, I think, you know, just was fascinated by really interesting, strange, weird sci-fi things, right? Mm-hmm. Movies all the time, whatever it was. But, you know, it was really interesting. I had a collective of all of these characters. It could have been Godzilla one day. It could have been the Colossus. It didn't matter. But one of the things I I started to do as a kid is I started to create my dreams before I dreamt. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is, and, you know, and I thought about that. And, And as I was reading your book, I thought, well, did I really do that? Or did the dream come to me? And I thought I was creating my dream. Can you see how the lines get blurred? And, and can you talk to how we, yeah. how we sift through that, so to speak? Yeah, the lines are very blurry. And there are a lot of kinds of dreaming. Um, you know, I, I focused the book mostly, except for a couple of chapters at the end, I really wanted to focus it on the kinds of dreams that most people are are aware of having, uh, you know, just typical nocturnal dreams, but yeah, that that edge of sleep phenomena. First of all, what you're describing sounds a lot like what I did as a as a as a teen, which was kind yeah. of what I think 
you know, in hindsight, you know, I hadn't read Jung, of course, as a teen, but I think in hindsight, I was, I was engaged in active imagination, what a Jung exactly. would call active imagination. And that's, I think, what you're describing. And in fact, one of the, one of the super precognitive dream workers in my book, uh, her name is Toby, she, amazing story, and, and, and shared, you know, just incredible precognitive dreams with me. She, that's her main form of, of dreaming, actually, as she finds it much more interesting to engage with the dream world during waking. Uh, now, it's not something that, that comes easily for a lot of people. It, it, it depends. Some people are just natural, naturally slip into that trance, like you're yeah. describing, and can go to another place. Uh, and some people use it creatively and, and, and will get stories and things like that. Um, uh, other people don't have such a facility with, with doing that, at least not as adults. I think it's something that we probably all are better able yeah. to do when we're kids or teens like, like me, and I kind of aged out of it and I find it difficult to do as an adult. Um, but it's, it's definitely part of the spectrum of, yeah. of dream phenomena. And yes, if you can engage that kind of dream world uh, in waking life, then all the same rules apply and maybe even different rules. I don't, I don't know. It's not an area I've explored as much, uh, but some precognitive dream workers who do that are exploring it right now. And, uh, and so, you know, maybe we'll see, maybe in years to come, we'll have more principles, uh, you know, governing precognition and how it works in waking life. But yeah. uh, not only, in, but not only that, there's also hip, hypnagogic states and right. hypnopompic states at the, at the edge right. of sleep. These are very rich. Uh, for precognitive exploration. Um, they present certain challenges. Uh, it's very hard to rouse yourself from, especially hypnagogic image as you're slipping into sleep because um, it feels so good to be falling asleep that you, yeah. you, know, you just don't want to you know, get up and write it down. That's the last thing you want to do. But when you have the discipline to do that, boy, those images are yeah. very often, very often will pay off within a couple of days. You know, this is, yeah. you know, um, this is what I saw playing that, that. It's image. so funny. You're talking about this. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I got to mention it. It's something to think about. I work with Mary Jane Mack, one of the, our other hosts, and she suggested I get a device called brain tap. Now, if you go look at it, it looks like you put a headphone on, but it is that I don't want to call it total hypnotic state. But you are getting these subliminal messages. It takes you to a place where you can calm and relax. Mm -hmm. But for somebody like me, what I've noticed with it, I do a couple of the brain tap, you know, I don't uh, exercises or, or these hypnotic things. Some of them are enchanted, whatever they are. And I will tell you that what I've noticed about them, and you just helped me with this, is that I'm like coming out of it. I'm not sleeping. And I will get out, up and I will walk in. I did this a couple of uh, weeks ago and I walk into Linda and said, oh my God, I got the best idea. Yeah. And, you know, are these type of things, some people are more prone to have things activated by them. Um, but the point is this, these information, this information is available to us. And I think what you're helping us with is it's available to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, maybe you're using a brain tap, maybe you're not. But isn't that really the key underpinning of what you're inviting people to explore, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
uh, talking about the spectrum of, of yeah. dreaming. Honestly, I think, and this is where my research actually is, is has taken me yeah. uh, in, in more recent years since I wrote this book. I, uh, I'm really more interested in creativity. And in fact, I think creativity is precognition. I think I that totally I think our original ideas, those yeah. ideas that come to us unbidden, uh, often in a sort of trance-like state or at the edge of sleep or, or you know, standing in the shower and suddenly the solution happens, that eureka moment. I think that is actually a form of precognition. And, uh, and there's so many examples of this in the arts and in, uh, uh, you know, writers and, and artists of all kinds, you know, having some kind of, you know, inspiration for a novel, which then, or, or work of art that then unfolds in their life. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so prevalent that I think that this is not just an aberration or a, or a neat little nifty feature of, of creativity. I think it is what creativity is. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's where I'm, that's what I'm working on now. There's a bit on that, yeah. on my blog on that, but uh, yeah. It's an so, exciting field. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I want to just comment yeah. for a minute. Yeah. I mean, this is really, okay. We overuse leading edge, but this is really important because we all talk about being a fast paced world, not being able to keep up. And we leave out the fact that even though the world is fast paced, we still have these abilities. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a population of people that think I am on my phone, I'm testing, that's not for me. And I think that is a, a grave misunderstanding and injustice for people, right? Yeah. And I can't wait to hear about your work on creativity and I hope you'll come back. I'd love to. I'm just, I'm telling you, sometimes you get ideas and sometimes you yeah. know what to do with them and sometimes you don't. And I think your mm -hmm. book helps us be a safe place, a safe haven for people to say, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane yeah. about this. Um, and it's Eric, a jump. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Oh, my personal message is, is, you know, you, whoever you are out there in internet <laughs> land or whatever, radio land, radio you, land. You, are, you are an amazing, uh, amazing object in the universe. You are, are a four-dimensional, vast uh, creature. Uh, and, and when you start exploring your dreams, uh, you start to realize that, you know, your past, you may think it's dead and gone and you may think the future yeah. has no relevance yeah. no it's all connected it's all connected